again, I'm sorry we don't have any slides. Terry and Margie are out with colds, so keep them in prayer. Um, it's Treasures in Heaven, and I think it's really speaks a lot to what we're trying to do with the Way Ministry Church Kenya. So I took a message from four or five years ago, and I just wanted to, to rewrite it and get into the to what it talked about. Again, it's obviously part of the Sermon on the Mount. So if you guys want to turn to Matthew chapter 6, it's verses 19 through 24. And again, this is partway through the Sermon on the Mount when Christ was preaching. And in verses, uh, chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, the Lord teaches, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the, dark, if, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So we've got this topic that Christ hits on so often in his ministry. He constantly talks about be in the world, but not of the world. Follow him and not the ways of the world. Don't be caught up in the trappings of the world and money and all the things that the world tries to entice us with. But this message is especially fitting as we begin the work of establishing the Way Ministry Church Kenya. And one of the verses that continually comes up in my mind as I talk to these pastors and I put together the messages that are going to be preached there and I look at the purpose of what we're doing there and it's 1 Timothy 3.15. And Paul writes, If I delay... You may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So important for this day and age, a pillar and buttress of the truth. One of our responsibilities, one of our major responsibilities as Christians in the Christian church is to understand that we are to love and protect the truth of the gospel message. And that's not happening in the majority of churches nowadays. And the more I, I get inquiries from more and more of these pastors, not just in Kenya, but all over the world, it absolutely blows my mind, the things that they believe in Christian. And it's not their fault. It's just what they've been taught by all this heresy that we export all over the world. I mean, it's, um, it, it absolutely continues to astonish me what passes for Christianity. And we get to go make a stand as a tiny church here for the cause of the gospel, and for the truth of the gospel. And I pray that that stand would go out to more churches and they'd realize that this is what we have to be focusing on. Let's look at verse 19. And I've separated this into a few different sections with subtitles. And the first one is what I'm calling the foolish life. And Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. And the, the Greek word, for rust, it's not just the rust that we see on metal. He's talking about rotting, wood rots. Things just deteriorate and fall apart. It's part of nature. That's what he's referring to as rust. 
And what he's referring to is the world and everything in it suffers from entropy and suffers from decay. And it's foolish to place our hopes in anything of the world because it's all temporary. It's all going to go away. Nothing's going to last that we see around us in the world. Christ says he's bringing a new heaven and a new earth. All this will be burnt up. And those focused on and in love with this world as an end seem to be like children that are whistling in the dark or people foolishly striving to put up a more convincing facade. The better the facade, the further they feel removed from fear and insecurity. It's like I've shared with you guys before. Our entire economy, our entire advertising business is based largely on fear. I mean, you watch commercials and it's ridiculous. The way that they sell products, it's all just fear-based, you know? I mean, everything is, if you don't take this, you're going to have a heart attack. If you don't take this, this is going to happen. If you don't take this, don't do this, this is going to happen. It's just fear-based. So people think the more that they can accumulate and the more that they can surround themselves with worldly things, the farther they are away from those dangers. But it's not the way it works. From a Christian standpoint, for lukewarm Christians, worldliness is often veiled even from themselves, because for so many years, the church has been striving to sell a compromise between the gospel and the world. And the purpose-driven and seeker-sensitive movements are built on this error. I read an article the other day from from a really good uh, pastor, and he showed how so much, excuse me, of what we're fighting against today just really took off after the purpose-driven life was written and the seeker-sensitive movement came in. That's when apostasy really started launching in the last 20 or 30 years. Because people started looking at man instead of at God. We've got to understand, if we are in Christ, if we are one of his children, that God will give us our portion each day. We have to learn what it is to live faithfully. And one of the the best ways to do this is to live prayerfully, to live in the word prayerfully, and I believe studying Christians from the past. You know, I'm reading William Borden's biography right now. I've shared a story with you guys a few different times, and I preached on it a couple weeks ago, but it amazes me in his biography, the faith that he and all, and all the people that he was with exhibited in everything that they did. Everything was built on their faith in Christ. George Mueller was the same way. Charles Spurgeon was the same way. Augustine, Calvin, All the great leaders, all the great minds, and all the great Christians down through history, whether we've heard of them or not, didn't rely on the world. They relied faithfully on God's provision through faith in Jesus Christ. So God will give us our portion each day, and if we use it in thankfulness, we glorify God. If we store it up as a worldly possession, it spoils, and then it becomes a snare and a curse that takes us off the narrow path. We see an example of this in Exodus 16, verses 16 through 20. This is when Israel was complaining after being liberated from Egypt, freed from slavery, brought through the Red Sea. All these miraculous things have happened. Now they're worried they're going to starve, and God feeds them with manna from heaven, miraculous food from heaven. But he tells Moses, he says, tell them to use the manna in this way, because he wants to use the manna to show how to use God's gifts faithfully. So in Exodus 16, 16 through 20, it says, This is what the Lord God has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as you can eat. 
you shall each take an omer, which was a, a unit of measure, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. Don't hoard it. Just take what you need. But they didn't listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. And the sentence that really struck me in that was they did not listen to Moses. See, nowadays people don't listen to Moses because they ignore this. You see? Moses is a representation of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And if we're going to listen to the Word of God, we have to obey what the Word says. They didn't listen to Moses, so Moses was angry with them. But what it comes down to from a perspective, especially in America, is hoarding and modern consumerism is idolatry and it's worship of self. Contemporary American society is obsessed with consumption. It's amazing if you sit back, if you walk through a modern store, and you think, if I took everything out of the store that wasn't a necessity, how much would be left? Think about that. You go through a place like Costco or Fred Meyer or any store, and you took out what wasn't a necessity, what would be left in that store? If you look at the American health crisis, it's the result of consumerism. Cancer, diabetes, heart disease... So much of what people suffer from are just from overconsumption. But it's not even this generation's fault because Americans have been raised for the last few generations to consume without even realizing it's programming that's been put in place over a very long period of time. Consume, consume, consume. And it's destroying people. It used to be that Americans were customers, we're not anymore, we're consumers. I've shared that with you guys before. It's really interesting. I remember when I was a kid, there were customers. There's no longer customers. It's the, the end consumer that everybody's concerned with. Consuming. But it's fascinating. If you go on YouTube, this is one of the good ways to use social media. Look at old films and notice how thin and vibrant people are. It's fascinating. I saw a picture the other day from a beach in Los Angeles in the 70s, and it looked like it would have been 100 years ago. Because that's how much better shape we were in just 40 years ago, 30 years ago. Because it's, it's, it's spiraling out of control faster and faster now. And this is a lot of the stuff that I'm going to be getting into in the podcast, is how to fight against these things and live in a way that's healthier, live in a way that's more pleasing to God and honors him, rather than getting caught up in all this consumerism. I remember when I was a kid, if, if I went to a fast food place with my parents, and you got a large drink, it was like this big. Then you had medium, then you had small. Well, now you have small, medium, large, and then super size. You know? I mean, really, it would be a good business if you made like a backpack for the next generation of drinks. <clears throat> Where people can just come in and they just fill up their backpack with sugar and stuff. I mean, that, am I being absurd? Because if you went back to the 60s and 70s and said, this is going to be a large drink in the year two, you know, 2020 or whatever, they go, no, it's never going to be that good. But that's how things have gotten out of control. 
and I'm not trying to, I guess I am bashing, but I can tell you from traveling a lot, it is very much an American issue. I was going to say, my, my old bosses were, you know, I had Australian and English bosses, and they come to the States, and they're like, I don't know how you guys eat so much. Yeah. They're like, they bring the, the plates out at dinner, and it's just covered in food. And all of them, all my former bosses said the same thing, coming from overseas, and it's like, yeah. I had a guy, a friend of mine came that stayed from Paris, and the first time we went out to dinner, he was he was angry. He was like, this is, this is ridiculous, you know, that strong French accent, he was completely flabbergasted. He goes, this is insane, he goes, this would feed a family for like a week in France, you know, because it was just so much food. But what I'm saying is we've just been programmed to think that's normal, you know? See the family come out of the big buffet, you know. You really know how to put it out there. You know, they really they really give you a good helping there. Not quality, just quantity. We gotta get back to quality. You see. But again, from a Christian perspective, it's unhealthy to live that way. It's wrong to live that way. But also, consumerism buries the mind, the creativity, and the intellect under a mountain of indulgence. It affects the way we think. It affects the way we look at the world. It affects the way that we read Scripture. If we let the world influence us that much. What we have now is a manufactured reality in which people are no longer even themselves. And this is getting worse and worse and worse. Our manufacturing, our, our, our reality is manufactured through the movie industry, through advertising, through television shows, through music, through those that people are trying to emulate. Self-image is based on marketing, and it's based on advertising, and this destroys self-worth. This is why we're seeing such an increase in suicide rates, depression, and the drug companies are making billions trying to numb people up against all this stuff. You see? Earthly treasures are also not all materialistic. They include fame, envy, morality, or uh, notoriety, not morality. These are things that people will spend their life working for, especially now with the social media thing. The people greedily consume because they are gathering their perishable worldly treasure. They think that's what they've got to do. I've got to gather as much as I can so in old age I'm comfortable, I'm taken care of. But again, if you go back through church history, you'll see that the most amazing Christians never worried about it. And they always had to take it taken care of. You see? Somebody said, I forget how many millions it was that George Mueller probably brought in in donations in his career. And he never had more than like two or three pounds in his pocket. He was English. You know? But he never lacked. He was always taken care of until the day he died. But everything that came in went right out to the, to the orphanages that he ran and the gospel school that he ran. But you've got to ask yourself, if you claim to be a Christian, how can believers shine the light of Christ if we're trapped in the world like everyone else? You cannot be trapped in consumerism and at the same time worship the Lord. So you've got to ask yourself, are you living to consume or are you consuming to live? How are you using what you have? That's a great mantra, or mantra, I don't know how to pronounce that word, 
for somebody that's trying to diet. You simply ask yourself, am I eating this? Am I eating to live or living to eat? See? Am I living to eat or eating to live? If you're eating to live, you're going to eat something that's healthy, that's going to bless your body, that's going to enable you to do more in the cause of the gospel. Really, you can take it to that extreme. But you guys get the mindset that I'm trying to aim at here. But what it really comes down to from a materialistic standpoint, how are you using what you have? Now, what's really interesting about this, what is the command that we're talking about? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Who's speaking this? Christ. Is he making a recommendation? No. He's saying, do not. He's giving us a command. Sort of turns our whole economic perspective on its head, doesn't it? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Then the next section is called the righteous life. So we have the foolish life. Now we have the righteous life. Matthew 6.20, the Lord continues. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. See, for believers, our life and all that is in it is a blessing and the purpose of which is to bring us into eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. As Christians, we realize we're on a journey to something far better than anything we could have here. This is all just temporary, and it's just a road that's bringing us to glory in Christ. And our lives must be lived for His glory and His eternal kingdom. One of the best lessons on this is the book, uh, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. This is what he talks about in that book. Luke 12, 32 through 33 says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. He's just painting this beautiful contrast. He's saying, you've got all this. Don't stress about this. Now, am I talking about walking around in rags? As a Christian, no. Christians should strive to live a dignified life, a respectable life. Christians can have money in the bank, but we don't worship it, you see? We're not going for billions. We're just going for what we need to serve. That's the balance. Our lives must be lived for His glory and His eternal kingdom. Our treasure is kept safe with God And it's an incorruptible inheritance. See, where this will all rot and decay and eventually be burned up, we have an eternal guarantee that our inheritance is incorruptible and will never be gone. Ephesians 1, 13-14 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. So you're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He gave us, I hope this isn't a crass way to explain it, He gave us a close, personal, best friend in the Holy Spirit to walk through the world until we come to the Lord. You see? We're never alone. 
1 Peter 1, 3 through 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So this is Peter reiterating the message that he had heard Christ preach on the Sermon on the Mount. John Calvin said, The Lord has ordained that those who will one day be crowned in heaven must have fought the good fight here on earth. How inspiring that is. Fight the good fight here on earth. See, in Christianity, every day we have a fight to fight. We have a reason for existing. We have a meaning that's beyond anything this world could give us. Christ continues in verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So now he's, he's getting into a proper Christian perspective. Your heart will follow your treasure. The things we're blessed with in this life, whether they be pleasure or for pleasure or necessity, we must find a happy balance in using all to God's glory, not veering from the narrow path. So that's what I was alluding to earlier. This doesn't mean that we live covered in filth, in rags, but we're looking for balance between what we have to have in the world to survive and our duty as Christians and servants. We find that balance. When we find that balance, what do we find with it? Joy. You see? Because then we understand how to hold the things of the world and not be consumed by them, not be trapped by them. Folks, one of the greatest things you can pray for family members that are not saved because they're trapped in money and stuff in the world is that it be stripped away. You see? I mean, a friend of mine told me he's, he has a couple kids and he's, he prays that their lives would be destroyed so that they'd come to Christ. He wants everything stripped away from them from a worldly context because he knows it's the only thing that will save them. That's a lot of faith to pray that for your kids. That everything they have that's worldly would be ripped away so they would come to the cross. He's praying that. So what I'm talking about can only be done through a sincere and faithful love. Our righteous giving and serving, our sincere and earnest prayers, our humble fasting and the rewards of them are our treasure. They, they accumulate in heaven eternally for us. Luke 10.20 says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is after Jesus had sent the 70 out, and he said, go preach the gospel, go share the good news with these places. And they came back, and they were amazed because they could cast out demons, they could do all these supernatural things. He said, no, rejoice that your names are written in heaven, rejoice over your inheritance. That's what you rejoice about. Another quote from John Calvin. He says, the person who makes it his aim to use the world as if it barely existed, this is, this is such great advice. Think of this mindset from the, what, 16 or 1700s or 1500s, I guess, John Calvin, compared to now. The person who makes it his aim to use the world as if, if it barely existed will cut out gluttony, effeminacy, ambition, pride and ostentation, but more than this, he will cut out all the cares which would hinder him from gaining eternal life. That is such a powerful quote. 
And it's really fascinating. I've been reading the book War and Peace. And if you, he's writing about the Russian Revolution. This was only a couple, not the Russian Revolution, the French Revolution, uh, the time of Napoleon. Less than 200 years ago, I guess. Maybe 200 years ago. And there's this one section where these, these two women are having a, a talk. And their talk is uncomfortable because they're both aristocrats. They're respected in their social status. And at that time, that didn't always mean that you had money. It meant that you came from a good family. But this one lady is asking the other lady if she can help her out financially because she needs to buy a uniform for her son to go into the French army. Maybe it was the Russian army. I don't know. The way Tolstoy explains it is he said they were both distressed that they had to discuss the topic of money together because it was so crass. It's not something they did because they realized it was so worldly and they hated being brought to that point. I thought, that's what a contrast to the modern world where you can sometimes you can go visit with people and that's the only topic. You see? It's stuff along those lines. The other thing I like is where he, he says gluttony, effeminacy. Now, effeminacy. Now, you can say as if it barely existed, and he's talking about gluttony, effeminacy, which in, in the Bible can refer to homosexuality, but it can also refer to men that don't live and act as men should act, not necessarily homosexuality. But isn't it interesting that these things come in in a worldly context of being spoiled? See what I'm saying? And again, that goes back to so much of what we struggle with in our society, our problems of prosperity. And it fascinates me how many people I've met in third world countries who have absolutely nothing. They live in a hut, and they're joyful, and they're happy, and they're peaceful. You see? But we have people here who have everything, and they're on meds for depression. Because things aren't exactly the way they want. Why? Because they're not living up to the image that our society puts out. You see? I remember when I was in Thailand, I was in a, a little island eating at this little restaurant, and the guy, this guy comes up to me, and he, he, I had a watch I bought in Hong Kong, and he goes, I love that watch. You know, How much was it? I told him. It's like $600. He goes, it takes me over six months to make that much money. But the guy was like the happiest guy. I mean, he lived in a hut. He had a little garden and everything, he was living in paradise. I always remembered that guy. But he was, he was a happy guy, you see? Because his perspective wasn't caught up in all the stuff. You see that so often when you get outside of our society. Verse 22, this is where the next section, proper life perspective. Now Christ bringing it and saying, okay, this is, if you're going to build treasure in heaven, this is how you have to focus. This is what you have to look at. This is how you have to think. This is your proper life perspective. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. The eye is the lamp of the body. The eye lights the body. If the eye does not perceive and focus on the light, then the body is in darkness. The light of the Christian is the heart, and our heart should belong to Christ. And it fills it with light, and everything in us is light. Another quote from John Calvin, My heart I give to thee, Lord, promptly and sincerely. 
I love sharing these Calvin quotes because everybody picks on the guy, but they don't know anything about him. But you see his heart here. See, and that was something that he said all the time. My heart I give to thee, Lord, promptly and sincerely. Our aim must be purely and only for the glory of God. Our own glory will not even enter a true believer's mind. Our eye will only be on the Lord and his glory. Like a traveler on a long journey, our eye must be on our destination, and our destination is eternity with Christ. Psalm 123.2 says, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so, so our eyes look to the Lord, our God, till he has mercy on us. It's this lesson that saved Charles Spurgeon. I've shared that story with you guys before. He was struggling. He knew he was a condemned sinner. He went into a small chapel on a, on a snowy day. And some, just a farmer guy was preaching because the pastor couldn't get there. He just said, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. That's all I was saying. And Spurgeon realized, that's all I have to do is look to Jesus. i got to stop trying to figure it out. I just look to Jesus. That's the perspective I'm talking about. The light of our eye comes only from the glory of Jesus Christ. John 8, 12, he said, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Christ continues in Matthew 6, 23, But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Proverbs 4, 19 says, The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Folks, look around you at the ignorance and the stupidity in the world. It's ridiculous. When you watch what people get sucked into. I didn't let them. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, the, that's what people think. Yeah, exactly. The problems and struggles that so many Christians carry with them are overcome when the eye, the heart, is set upon Christ alone. Just look at these examples from Christ's ministry. People who just looked to Christ and saw the light. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Those are the ends of three different stories of miracles of Christ's ministry. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. Get out of the way. Have faith in him. Trust in him and you will be made well. You'll have everything you need. He will do so much more than we can even imagine. Refuse to allow the darkness of this world to dim your view of the glorious light of Jesus Christ. Ask yourself these questions. Does this bring me closer to Christ? Does this glorify God? Does this take my eye from the Lord? Will this make me veer from the narrow path of following Jesus Christ? Might this lead me or others astray? David writes in Psalm 17, 5, My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. Feet have not slipped. And then the final section here, a vital choice, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In the original Syriac language, it's mammon, which means gain, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, worldly pride, pride in possessions, and worldly adoration and power. If we love the world, our heart is closed to Christ, and it's given to another. It's adultery. 
is what it is. Why do you think adultery is such a prominent theme in the Old Testament? Because if you claim Christ, you're married to the bride of, you are the bride of Christ, married to him and looking for an eternal salvation in him, but you're in love with the world, you're committing adultery, spiritually. If we love the world, our heart is closed to Christ and it's given to another. Luke 8.14 says, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. The gospel falls away. 1 John 2.15-17 Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God, he abides forever. In Philippians 3, 7-8, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of, the, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul had it made. He was a Pharisee from the tribe of Benjamin, and he had been taught by Galamiel, which was like the leading Jewish teacher of the time. It was like he had the best, I don't, I don't like saying, I don't like Harvard, Yale education. You know, and he could write his own ticket, and he walked away from that to serve Christ, and he realized none of that was worth anything because I have Christ. Like Gordon. Gordon walked away from a Yale education. Same thing. Folks, there's nothing wrong with enjoying the things God blesses us with. Be grateful and praise Him for His blessings. But we must not worship those things or use them in the idolization of self. Enjoy the things we're blessed with in gratitude and thankfulness to the Lord and rejoicing in Him. But when He says you cannot, it's not a decision, it's an impossibility. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot be in the world and try to be in Christ. Looking only to Christ and serving only Him seems to be one of the most commonly neglected and ignored commands in the contemporary church. To so many, the command seems absurd, legalistic, and even alien and unfathomable. While two masters may appear to be on the same path, this is huge, it is easy to follow both. But when their paths part, then it becomes clear which one is really loved and worshipped. 2 Corinthians 11.14 says, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. We must learn discernment. Because in the world we live in, for every Christian, very soon will come a time where you've got to decide which way you're going to go. Am I going to stay on this narrow path, or am I going to go this way? Because it's easier, it's more comfortable, and I don't have to stress about it. You see? And it's not as dangerous. We must be discerning. And we cannot serve ourselves in God. Secular humanism is what the modern church is all about. Worship of self. James 4, 4-5 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is, it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? So a choice of who you will serve must be made. One of the reasons I, I wanted to preach this today is because I was listening to a friend of mine. One of 
his podcast, and he's, his ministry's struggling, and his ministry's been around for 25 years. And he said, the problem with our ministry, he said, if all the people that listen and all the people that use the resources and watch the YouTube videos and everything else, if they all just gave a little bit, our ministry would be healthy. He said, but where the faith comes in, he said, it's just a few people that support it. And if one of those has issues, it affects the ministry. That's exactly our ministry. Kenya has been made a reality through God's leading, a few very generous individuals, Christians. Tracy's one of them. I hope I don't know if you guys want to say that You just took away my blessing. I didn't want anyone to know. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I did it, so it's still a blessing. Okay. <laughs> and everybody in here has contributed and helped. But what I'm saying is, with what we could do in Kenya, if all the people that follow me on Facebook, if all the people that watch on YouTube, if all the people that hear my voice and know my name would just step up a little bit, we could do so much more. We could go far beyond what's even in front of us right now. Consider this following scripture. Consider this as we head to Kenya. Have you sacrificed for this opportunity? Have you gone outside your comfort zone not just for this opportunity, but for the cause of Jesus Christ. That's what Christian ministry is. Christian ministry is saying, I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to go outside my comfort zone for the cause of the gospel. You have to make that decision, because if you're not, you're not going to be in ministry. This is an opportunity to share and make a stand for the truth of the gospel, to care for the church, to lift up and encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ, to help build something that's eternal and lasting. Work that matters. Treasure that lasts. This is an opportunity to be a living sacrifice, giving of ourselves for the greatest of causes. This is an opportunity to build up treasure in heaven. Like I said, I'm not picking on people in this room because everybody in here has blessed this ministry since day one. But we need to get more people involved in what we're doing, because the more we get involved with it, the more dire the need for the gospel in these places that we're going to. It just it just shines brighter and brighter the need of what needs to be done. So anybody listening to this, I just want to share this, because this gives the perspective of why we go preach the gospel and why we go help the church. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on, the, on His right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you, sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? 
And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Like I've shared with you guys before, a lot of people will use this verse, the least of these, for any mission. It's not. Because where he says my brothers, he just eliminated everybody but the church. That's who he's talking about. Then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and he gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and do not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Folks, this trip we're taking is not a mission trip. The reason I won't call it a mission trip anymore is because I'm sick of what the mission trip is looked at by the modern mainstream church. It's like so many phrases in Christianity. It's been cheapened and it's been degraded. Because unbiblical churches send kids out constantly on short-term mission trips. They don't even know how to preach the gospel. They go do something, they'll feed, they'll, they'll, they'll do some work, but it's not accomplishing the cause of the gospel. See? This is not a mission trip. This is the launching of an endeavor in the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what this is. See? Folks, I'm already starting to think about the second trip. God's already laid that on my heart. You got this one going, start thinking ahead on this one to what we can do in the next one, and the one after that, what we can build there. So this isn't just a mission trip. There's something much more that the Lord's doing here. But we have got to have more people step up and help us in this work, because it's overwhelming when you start thinking about the false teachings that are going out all over this world. It's crazy. And the number of people that are going to hell because they think they are Christians because somebody told them to do this or say that or whatever, they have no idea what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. That problem's here, and now we've exported it all over the world. And we're going to fight against that, see, to make a stand against that. So be in prayer for this trip and the continuing trips. If you're watching online, we're going to be taking an offering. You can go to the way, the letter R122.org, and go to the donate page, and you can put Kenya, Recovery Reformation, General, whatever you want to check out. Um, and that's where the funds are designated. But it's time to really kick things into gear. Um, we're in a, a day and age. We're in the great apostasy. You know, I just finished, I'm finishing a huge book I read on church history. And it's just it's one of the most brilliant books I've read on church history. And you see the same issues coming up from the beginning of the church Things would just pop up over and over again. What we are in now is very unique. It's very unique what's happening now. And I think that's a blessing. Because it helps us to see the truth more clear. See, we're blessed with heresy. Because when you have heresy, the light shines brighter, the truth shines brighter. So heresy can bless the church. It helps us clean it out. See? 
Thank you for listening to The Way Radio. You can find us on the web at our new website, thewayradio.net. And if you'd like information about our church or Recovery Reformation, there are links to those sites from the new site. And again, that's what thewayradio.net. And you can email me at chad at the way, the letter R, 122.org. And until next time, God bless.